Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. Welcome to the back of the range. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 119. As you can imagine, it's been quite the special week here at the back of the range. I've received so many kind messages and positive feedback from last week's episode. If you missed it, I hope you get a chance to listen to it. It's in Apple Podcasts. My guest was Jack Nicholas. Tried to ask him some questions that he hasn't heard in his nearly 60-year professional career. I might have gotten a couple good ones in there, but still, an incredible experience to spend a morning in Jack's office and something that I will never forget. Before we move on to this week's episode, you might want to pop over to our social media channels because I'm posting some video clips that were shot during the Nicholas episode. Kind of gives you an idea of some of the things we discussed. So again, head over to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. All the links are in the show notes of this episode. Simple way to find everything, you guessed it, go to the website, thebackoftherange.com. Lots of mojo updates to get to and a few announcements, so here they come in no particular order. I am getting back on the horse and getting the free Tal Tuesdays posted for you. I have to admit, been a little bit preoccupied with getting some episodes recorded, but that's changing because I'm going to give these towels away every single week to all the listeners. So follow along on social media, watch for posts on Tuesdays, leave some comments, tag some friends, really just trying to get some conversations started. I will reward you and send you a towel so you can rock that on your golf bag. Two major college golf tournaments just wrapped up earlier this week, Southern Highlands Collegiate in Las Vegas and the Cabo Collegiate in Mexico. The top 10 teams from each tournament all have a legitimate shot at the national championship later this spring. There are only a handful of spring tournaments left before the conference championships, then the NCAA regionals, and then, of course, the national championship. So at Southern Highlands, The team title went to USC as they edged out Texas by two. As far as the individual title, in sudden death, Parker Cootie picked up the win over Yushin Lin. Lots of guys in the top 10 are also friends of the podcast. So nice to see Devin Bling from UCLA, Ricky Castillo from UF, all playing well. Down in Cabo, the team title went to Arizona State as all five of their players finished in the top 15. Individual title went to Walker Lee of Texas A&M. Lots of teams playing well late into this season. So keep an eye on college golf. As you all know, I'm going to be heading over to the Valspar Collegiate in a couple weeks at the Floridian. Going to see some of the Walker Cuppers that I spent the week with last year at Royal Liverpool. Definitely looking forward to that experience. Congrats to two former guests that just got named to the 2020 Arnold Palmer Cup team. As I said, Ricky Castillo from Florida, John Pock from FSU. Both were featured on the Road to Hoylake series last year, so go check that out. John Pock went undefeated at the Walker Cup and helped the Americans in their come-from-behind victory. I have not spoken with John yet. I'm not sure whether or not he needs me to come to Ireland in July for the Arnold Palmer Cup. It's going to be held at La Hinch. That will be awesome to watch, so congrats to those guys. Can't wait to see what that team is actually going to look like. And finally, the Road to Augusta series is going to kick off next week. We're basically just a month away from the Masters. I want to make sure that all of those episodes are released before the start of the tournament so that you can learn more about the six amateurs that are going to be playing in the 2020 Masters. Before we get too entrenched with this youth movement, let's get to this week's episode and introduce you to another mid-am that competes nationally 
and has been playing great golf in the state of Missouri for, well, his entire life. Our guest this week is Brad Nursky from St. Joe, Missouri. Brad has won the Missouri Amateur and Mid-Amateur numerous times, and along with Skip Berkmeyer, you know, those two guys are basically the dominant amateurs in the state for the last 20 years. They've partnered up to play USGA state team and U.S. four balls together. Brad was also the runner-up in the 2014 U.S. Mid-Am that was won by Scott Harvey. I think you all remember that episode. So Brad and I had a great conversation. He even threw a little bit of friendly shade over at Skip Berkmeyer. Love that. Um, let's get straight to this episode. Brad, you're at the back of the range. How are you, sir? I'm great. Uh, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Well, you know, I've had a lot of Missouri boys on on this podcast. You know, uh, Ber- Berkmeyer's been on and Holt Greaves been on, and I'm sure there's a, a bunch of other ones that uh, I still uh, – have had on or, or need to get to in the future, but definitely wanted to talk to you. Um, you know, it's not common that I run across a a player, a mid-am player that um, kind of stays in their own hometown. And I just, every time I'm looking at your accomplishments, it always has St. Joseph, Missouri attached to it. And that's been your hometown and that's where you're living to this day. So before we get started with a lot of the mid-am things that you've accomplished and even your your, your professional uh, aspirations in the early 2000s. Tell me something about St. Joe's that people don't know. To be on the funny side, uh, real quick, it's it's kind of where the uh, Pony Express started and uh, Jesse James ended, to be honest with you. Okay. And, uh, you know, I've grow, I grew up here all my life since I was born here, and I went to co- uh, high school and college here. And, you know, I've just – I've always liked the smaller city setting, I guess you could say, and – I, I've been to some bigger cities in my day, and I've always seemed like the community here is a little more tight knit, and you know, and you get a lot more uh, get a lot more people rooting for you, I, I guess you should say, and uh, everyone uh, everyone enjoys to uh, watch somebody from a smaller town uh, succeed. Sure. So, how did you get into? You know, were you one of those kids? It's like, okay, I just play golf, and that's just my one sport, or were you just into everything as a kid? Because I think we see a lot of that today where kids get specialized really quick. You know, when I grew up, I think you and I are probably around the same age, early 40s. And, yeah. And, yeah, just we, I remember just playing everything. I mean, basketball, soccer, baseball, golf, you know, tennis. I played everything. Did you play everything as a kid? Yeah, I did. I, mean, I, I did not play football, but my dad, uh, my dad started me pretty early playing baseball. And, uh, you know, I played baseball all the way through – my eighth grade year and my dad said essentially you're gonna have to make a decision on what sport you want to play because they're they're in the same season here in uh missouri baseball and golf are and uh so i chose golf and you know luckily uh that seemed to have worked out and uh i also played basketball i played basketball in high school you know i uh i couldn't shoot but uh (laughs) the uh our coach let me play just because i was fast and i would play defense but yeah, I wasn't uh, I wasn't the greatest basketball player, so luckily I stuck with golf. Yeah, I uh, I wasn't I didn't play football either, but uh, I could still rack up injuries and just nagging things without having to play football. So I got I got that going for me. So you get into you start playing golf. I know that you you were all region, you know, Benton High School just you know basically dominated there. I know you won a lot of uh, tournaments and then moved on for college, moved to Missouri Western State, which is in St. Joe. So most everyone yeah. I talk to does the 
you know, acclimating to the college experience, bigger campus, meeting different people. Um, what was it like going from high school to college really in the same city? Did it just feel like an extension of high school or, or how much different was it? Um, it was a little different, but, uh, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't too terrible for me. It was, it, like you said, it was an extension of high school for me really, cause I knew, I knew a lot of the professors there, um, didn't really get recruited to go anywhere else. Maybe central Missouri state. I think they offered me maybe a half a scholarship or so, but it turned out that, uh, my, the guy I was working for at the public golf course there, he was the uh, head golf coach at Missouri Western. And uh, he's uh, he essentially recruited me to Missouri Western. And I didn't, I didn't really want to go anywhere else to be, uh, to be truthful. All right. So tell me about college life at, at Missouri, at, you know, at Missouri Western, because I, I, you know, I spent time at university of Kansas. Uh, I've spent time in the Midwest, but, but talk to me about college life when you're so, attached to the city you grew up in you kind of show everyone around you know and you kind of get everyone acclimated to what's going on in your town and you're kind of like the liaison for people when they come in and you get to uh it's kind of a that's kind of the fun part for me was showing all my you know all my new golf buddies or my new uh, teammates that you know they're just because it's a little town doesn't mean that they didn't have something to offer and uh sure um you know and there was plenty of job opportunities here in St. Joe for uh, life after college. And, you know, a lot of people move on from college here, but, you know, they always seem to come back. And just, just because I believe it's the uh, tight knit community around here and everyone kind of rallies behind the, the college, especially when it's a smaller college. Now I'm thinking about all the trouble I got into when I was at KU, cause I was away from, you know, parents and, and all of a sudden, um, you know, grabbing beers when you probably shouldn't it was really easy to do so um i hate to go in a dark direction right away and throw you completely under the bus but let's go back um you know some of these buddies that you would uh, catch up with or some of these friends that you welcomed into st joe's what's the what's the fun part or what what was one of the ways that you guys got in trouble when you're in college i mean not too too much trouble we're not talking about boosting a car here i mean we're just (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. Go easy. It's, you know, PG 13, but how, how do, you know, tell me about, you know, the, the weekends, you know, in Missouri, uh, you know, at, at school, you're playing on the college golf team. You had tremendous success on the team. Walk me through just a typical, you know, dumb college weekend. If it was, uh, during a school season, you know, we would, uh, we would do our things on a weekend and, uh, you know, we'd, we'd probably start on the golf course and, you know, by the time we turned 21, we'd find a, uh, beer or two and then we'd probably hop to the local bar or, uh, and then find ourselves in a few uh, situations that we probably shouldn't be in and uh, you know maybe had to talk our way out of a few things but uh, uh, that's again being in a tight-knit community you know a few people to get you out of some things yeah and, and also everyone knows what's going on so that is mm-hmm. so so your coach that recruits you Mike Habermelt um now this is still your swing coach to this day, is that right? Yeah, yeah, yep. And he, uh, yeah, he's been with me since uh, essentially day one. Wow. So I mean, are we talking like junior golf? He was your coach, or are we talking about just in Missouri? Oh yeah, junior golf. I mean, when I first started, probably nine, eight or nine years old. He's he's had me ever since, and I've never had anyone else to wow. to this day. So you know, other than my dad, you know, sure. helping me with a few few things here and there, but. It got to the point where the dad didn't, uh, couldn't really take it to the next level. And so Mike is, uh, 
Mike is always there for me, and uh, he, to this day, he, he actually just retired last Monday. So that's uh, we'll see how that works out for <laughs> him and I. But <laughs> yeah, you might need to go uh, drag him out on the on the range as as needed. So I don't think he's going to be officially retired ever, probably with you. But no, I mean I think he's uh, <clears throat> he's he's been in the golf business over thirty years, and uh, it, it's time for him to uh, take a little step back and and enjoy life and enjoy his uh, family and uh, actually get to play some golf for, uh, for once and uh, enjoy the rest of his uh, life there. Nice. You know, normally when we talk about juniors or, or even on the PGA tour, you're in high level amateurs, everyone seems to always be uh, finding a new swing coach or taking a new tip from some instructor that maybe only teaches online and, and just Mm -hmm. bouncing around and getting all sorts of different input and, and ideas and and swing theories and you're working with a guy basically for your entire life and obviously mm-hmm. it's it's benefited you you've reached the top of amateur golf you played professionally you've you've you know played fantastic in all these elite level amateur tournaments all over the country so can you possibly explain how you've managed to stay with one coach for your entire life and and this is just a very unique thing. You just don't hear that very much. He doesn't try to change what I have. I mean, I don't have the, the most technically sound swing, but he doesn't, he doesn't change, try to have, he's never tried to change me. Uh, he just fixes what I got. And I really like that because I understand what he's saying. And I'm not a, I'm not a golf swing guru. I'm probably more of a field player than anything. Sure. Um, and he's just fixed little subtle movements and, um, you know, he'll just like last year, if I'll be struggling or something, he'll come down and he'll watch me for literally five minutes and he'll go, well, you're doing this, you know, you're sliding, you're opening up too quick and I'll stop and he'll go, see, told you. And then he'll <laughs> go back to doing what, what he was doing. So it's just basically just a set of eyes and, and letting you kind of figure it out for yourself, but also just pointing in the right direction. We need that, that gentle nudge. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and a lot of my buddies that I play golf with, uh, now some of them caddy for me and so they they watch him tell me what i'm doing wrong and so and i'll have them caddy for me and, and they'll be able to tell me hey you're doing this you're doing that and so that's 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 a bit of an advantage too for me i mean especially i normally take you know besides coleman and pine valley i always take a buddy with me to caddy so nice. that's uh that's that's probably more mental than anything for me so let me ask you so you Finish your collegiate career at Missouri Western, three-time conference selection, you know, 99 through 2001, and then all districts three times. So definitely mm-hmm. led that team, um, you know, you're, the four years you're there. Obviously, you have great success in the college level or on the collegiate level. So at some point, you're thinking, okay, what am I going to do with this golf that I've poured my, my myself into in junior golf, high school golf, and college golf? So at some point, I'm assuming you make the decision to turn professional since I know you are a reinstated amateur. So walk, walk me through the idea of I've spent my whole life in St. Joe, uh, Missouri, and I'm going to go chase this professional route. How does that come to be, and how do you kind of plot yourself for, or you know, make a plan for success? After I graduated college, I ended up being the assistant golf professional at the public course here in town, hence the head professional was my golf coach, Mike Haverville. Sure. So this is, <laughs> and, this is Fairview, right? Yeah. Fairview, Fairview golf course here in St. Joe. And, you know, I was taking the licks like every beginning assistant pro does. And, 
uh, working a ton of hours and not getting paid very much. And, you know, I love being at the golf course, but I love being at the golf course more when I'm playing. Oh, sure. And so, you know, I played in a couple section events, you know, here in the Midwest section and played pretty good. And, you know, and Mike always let the pros play in our club championship there at Fairview. And I can't remember what I shot. I think I shot like 16 under for two rounds and, Somebody said you gotta you gotta get out of St. Joe. You gotta you gotta go find out if you're any good or not. So yeah. that was kind of that was kind of the gist of it, really. And uh, luckily enough, I uh, my aunt lived in uh, Noonan, Georgia, and uh, she had a place for me to stay down there. And uh, so that uh, that that's a whole other subject. But uh, yeah, it was uh, it ended up being that way, and it was uh, it's uh, it's a decision that I'll probably. I'll never regret it. I mean, it was probably a thing that I needed to do, and uh, it was uh, it was a good time. Now, when you turn professional, get out of Missouri, and head down to I guess it's Georgia or Florida, where did you, where did your kind of journey start as far as playing playing on a tour? Well, moved to Noonan, Georgia, and then most of the tournaments were in the Panhandle of Florida, okay, um, uh, Baghdad, Florida area, uh, Pensacola, yep. Some a little bit in Alabama there on the, I guess it'd be the east coast east side of uh, Alabama, Dothan, Alabama, if I remember the, that city correctly. Um, I'm just thinking of a lot of places where you were getting some sort of a hotel room or showing up at some golf course and thinking to yourself, "What in the hell am I doing here?" Oh yeah, I mean the first night I, I didn't, I wasn't too keen on picking the right hotel or the right part of the neighborhood to stay. And then, you know, <laughs> it's not very often you get a metal key anymore for a hotel. And I got a metal key and I was like, Oh boy, this could be bad. Yeah, exactly. So it was definitely a, a wake up call to essentially be out on your own and not knowing what's going to happen from one day to the next. So it was, uh, and, and once again, I, I had a buddy that, uh, that quit his job to go caddy for me. So I did have a, somebody there with me. So, well, wow, seems you, like yeah, you got. I've always pretty, had a, go ahead, a blanket with me. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say you got pretty good friends. If you got guys quitting their day job to go caddy on the mini tours, I mean that's uh, yeah. that's that. But that had to be a hell of a time because I mean I'm guessing you're like 22, 23 years old at this time. Yeah, yeah. So not to to rip off a, a band aid and expose some old <laughs> wounds, but you know, obviously, you know, you you're reinstated amateur, so the professional route didn't pan out, but. Mm-hmm. And, and then I guess you could always say, well, you know, when you run out of money, you got to go home. So that's, that's a clear indicator that, you know, something, you know, that, that would be a clear indicator that the professional route isn't working if you can't fund the, fund the dream. But do you remember times being, whether it's on the course with competitors or traveling around when the allure of being a touring professional just, just didn't seem to capture your or did, just didn't seem all it's cracked up to be yeah we uh we were in a rain delay and i can't remember boy it's been a while since this happened but i i remember this moment very vividly it was uh we were sitting in a rain delay in the a restaurant or wherever it was in the in the clubhouse there and <clears throat> we're all sitting around tables and they finally called the tournament for the day so everyone's getting in their pouch in their bag and taking their stuff out and putting their money clips in their wa- uh, pocket and Everybody's getting their watches out, and I see Bubba and Boo and all them guys. And Boo or uh, Bubba's hanging out with. They all put on the Rolexes, and I'm 
looked at my account. I said, no, nah, I'll leave my little fossil watch in the bag. I don't, we don't need to pull that out. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So. Okay. So wait a minute, Bubba and Boo, I'm assuming you're talking about Bubba Watson and Boo Weekly. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, we can't skip over that. So you're playing mini tour golf with Bubba and Boo Weekly and they got Rolexes or where is this happening? Yeah. Yeah. They had Rolexes. Trust me. I seen it. And, uh, that's when I realized that no, I don't need to uh, pull my little watch out. We'll just uh, keep the wrist naked for a while. Okay. Well, it, it's interesting because you know when you think of guys like this, obviously you know Bubba's won a couple of Masters. Boo Weekly just kind of appeared almost out of nowhere, uh, mm-hmm. and then to capture, uh, I believe he won back to back Heritage uh, at Hilton Head. So, mm-hmm. I mean, these are guys. Did you did something stick out other than obviously the Rolex watches? But did something stick out even? on a mini tour, like these guys are destined for something bigger than this, or or is it just a bunch of guys in the same boat that one of them is going to break through and it end up being them? Bubba probably stands out more than anyone. I mean, he hit it so solid every single time. I mean, people don't think he's a great putter, but I didn't see him miss too many when I was down there playing with him. Yeah. Uh, and, and to get to where his level is now and even booed for that matter, those guys don't miss that many putts. They they may think they don't make putts, but they make putts. And uh, it was it was interesting just to watch what they do and how they got prepared. And you know, I use some of it today, but you know, and I and I use some of my own stuff. But it's okay to rip some stuff off from those guys, and they don't mind. They probably don't remember me anymore. Hey, hey, the my listeners like ripping stuff off all these great guests that I've been having. So share share a little bit of this stuff you ripped off. We'll do this secondhand. I mean, what are some of the things that you've pulled out of their game or some of the things that you've incorporated that's been successful for you? Because, as I said, you know, one of the most successful mid-amateurs in the country. So, yeah. I mean, think back. What are some of the things maybe that you, that you incorporate into your game? Bubba and I actually became pretty decent friends, uh, and I think it was a mutual thing because we were both lefties. Of course. And, uh, well, I mean, we, we played a lot of practice rounds together, and Bubba, always Bubba hit the same shot every time. You know, he always hit a good cut, and I, I started trying to hit a cut one day in practice rounds, and he said, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> I'm like, I'm trying to hit a cut. He goes, why? You hit a draw. I'm like, yeah, but I need to hit a cut too. He goes, no, you don't. If you hit the same shot every time, you'll be just fine. So, you know, I, I to this day, I still hit a draw, you know, and there's some courses I probably shouldn't hit a draw on, but I don't really, a cut's not my go-to shot. So yeah. I, I just stick with the draw and that's, then we go from there. Okay. Well, that's, that's a great one. So, I mean, you're basically, you got to know your strength and know what brought you and stick with that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, can't imagine being stuck in a rain delay for five hours with boo weekly because um <laughs> i mean that guy probably i mean i actually have a really good boo weekly story um uh, which i'll even share real quick which probably yeah. is, is so so boo weekly uh was playing in the honda classic this one year down here in south florida and a good friend of mine who's actually on this podcast in the first year greg o'mahony played uh mini tour uh, played, um, uh, believe played European Challenge Tour, but he Monday qualified into the Honda, and you know missed the cut, but spent a great week down there as his hometown tournament. And he shared this one story how he's in the locker room, and uh, Boo Weekly is just walking around to everyone saying, "Let me get your kicks, let me get your kicks," and he's collecting <laughs> shoes 
to take him over to the locker room attendant to get him. And this is a guy that's one on tour multiple times going up to anyone and everyone like he's just some like intern in the locker room. Um, Let me get your kicks. Let me get your kicks. (laughs) Yeah, he's uh, I got actually there's a guy up here. We just got a brand new simulator here at our golf course, our country club up here. And uh, the guy that kind of runs the simulator during the day, his name is Kevin Fassbender. He's kind of an on and off uh, caddy. He actually caddied for uh, Rory Sabatini for like eleven or twelve years. And, oh wow! Uh, yeah, he's uh, he's been caddying for Boo off and on, and uh, actually he caddied at Pebble Beach last week for uh, Chad Campbell. Okay. And uh, but Kevin, first time he caddied for Boo here last year, he Kevin knew me obviously, and he uh, he asked Boo, and he goes, "Yeah, how's that Nursky doing there?" So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Boo's got a little bit of redneck in him. So. Oh God, really? You think? <laughs> That's why when you said Boo Weekly's wearing a Rolex, I'm like, look, if you're going to start lying to me on my own podcast, I mean, come on, we got to talk about this. I mean, I mean, geez, I mean, is he still wearing all that? Well, he came on when he was wearing. He was always wearing rain pants because he's. I think he was allergic to some sort of a material or something. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't. I don't know that story, but yeah, he is definitely. Uh, a different breed you know when you're when you're riding riding your driver down the middle of the fairway in the rider cup you definitely got uh, oh yeah different about you well well that'll that'll never be forgotten so so no. so you so you kind of so you get your amateur status back and obviously you got to get a job and now we get to the part of the episode where things uh gosh i can't believe i'm gonna do this but things might go off the rails you see what i did mm-hmm. see what i did there see, see yeah, a little pun there i see, got you yeah. okay just make sure you're paying attention uh, so that's a horrible joke but we're gonna go with it anyway so you come back to saint joe and we got to get a job because the, the the pro career um you know you're not gonna be on the pga tour you get your amateur status back but what is your day job that you got and that you still have to this day uh, well, I, well i got back in town i was kind of struggling and had a couple buddies that were working construction. They got me into that, and by no means am I a carpenter, so I got out of that. Um, so my actually my best friend and we played high school golf together all the time and uh, basketball in high school, and uh, he worked for the railroad BNSF, and uh, his dad worked there for thirty plus years. And he goes, "Well, we can try to get you on here," and you know, and lo and behold, I I got a job at BNSF and. I've been there 17 years now. So when I think of someone working for the railroad, and this is terrible of me being just some city slicker down here in South Florida, just surrounded by, you know, you know, you know, just basically palm trees and beaches. So explain to me exactly, you know, other than me just getting frustrated when I get stuck at a railroad crossing or or Mm -hmm. the tri-rail, what am I missing? Like, what is, what, what, what's your job at the railroad? I'm a conductor, a certified conductor. Um, you know, when, when they hire you, you go through a 13 week training program that essentially covers every single thing that the railroad can throw at you. Um, except some, there, there's few situations that they just can't cover, but sure. uh, so 13 weeks. And, you know, when I first started out, I, I would work in uh, Kansas city, Missouri, and I, I would be on, call 24 7 and you know that's kind of how it starts out for any new hire that gets a gets a job there and so on and so forth and once you get a little time in then 
then you can catch a train. You'll take it from Kansas City to Lincoln, Nebraska, and then you'll catch one and come back and just keep doing that and doing that. And then, but now, thankfully, I have a little seniority under my belt. Uh, I get to uh, work from home every day, uh, going to six thirty, and I'm off by two thirty. And uh, I get to I get to be home every day to see my family. And uh, so my official title, as we speak right now, is uh, is a switchman. So we uh, we just essentially just take uh, cars industries around uh, St. Joe, Missouri, and uh, we build trains that uh, go from St. Joe all the way to either Eagle Pass uh, or some uh, some place down in Mexico. They take soybean mill down there. Wow. Okay, we are learning some. Uh, we are learning all sorts of things on this episode. So. Boot- <laughs> Boo Weekly wears a Rolex, and now I know a little bit more about the railroad. So I'm imagining that this job not only gives you time to spend with your family, but it also gives you time to keep your game pretty sharp. Yeah, you know, once, like I said, once I got some seniority under my belt, uh, it's definitely offered me the chance to uh, practice as much as uh, as much as I can. And uh, my wife is uh, really understanding about it, uh, especially now that. Uh, my uh, oldest son is uh, really taking it up. Okay, so you you have this time to spend on your game. Obviously, you know that's great. You have, you, but you also have a family. And you know, have other responsibilities. I would assume. So you probably can't be out there for five hours and just beating balls all night long. So for for people that are trying to do the same thing that you're doing, balancing the the day job, balancing family life, what is maybe a, a routine or a go to practice session that that you have used that's been successful that you know, you can get the most out of it in the quickest amount of time. Uh, for me, m- most, most of my time is spent uh, around the chipping green and uh, the putting green. Um, you know, cause you don't get to practice that on the golf course. To me, you can't, you, you're focusing on making everything on the golf course, but when, when you get on the putting and chipping green, that's where you get your routine down and, practice different lies. And so that, that way, once you get on the golf course, you're not uh, surprised when you get a bad one. Well, your success in amateur golf, as I've kind of alluded to, I'm going to try and embarrass you a little bit. Three Missouri state amateur championships. You got a mid amateur championship. You played in numerous USGA events, you know, four ball <laughs> state team. You were the runner up of the U S mid am in 2014 to Scott Harvey, who was a, a previous guest on the podcast. So you have all the credentials um, was there maybe a turning point when maybe you kind of realized, okay, this is my game, um, you know, you know, getting all this success on, on the state level, was there maybe mm-hmm. a turning point where you kind of figured your own game out, maybe figured, okay, here's how I get the most out of what I have. You just mentioned earlier, you know, I hit a draw, so I'm sticking with that. But was there a mm-hmm. time where you just, it kind of clicked for you? Cause you went on this, this great run. It seems for the last decade, so to speak, with the, you know, the, the amateurs and, you know, t- tell me about maybe when things might've clicked, if you, if you can pinpoint anything. I would say uh, probably 2010 when I won Missouri amateur and uh, just so happens I beat Skip in the semifinals and, you know, and Skip will say that he had other things on his mind. You know, he was moving his house and moving to a different part of St. Louis, but, you know, to me, Skip was king, uh, in Missouri and 
you always want to take the opportunity when you have the chance to knock off the king and you want to win. And I, and I ended up beating Skip and then I made a pretty big comeback in the finals. And so beating Skip and then making a good comeback in the finals to win your first one, I think is uh, something you always kind of lean on and you kind of fall back and say, Hey, you know, when you're down, you can, you can come back or, you know, you can be somebody that's really good. So I kind of try to remember that when I'm out there. Yeah. And you mentioned, so this is Skip Bergmeier that you're speaking of. This is, uh, like you said, you know, I, I would imagine that him and, and Tom, well, yeah, Missouri, Tom Watson, and, and obviously Tom mm-hmm. Holgrieve, you know, these are guys that are really at the top of, uh, you know, amateur golf in the state of Missouri. Do you remember, when was the first time you met Skip Bergmeier? Oh, boy. Um, you know, Skip was, uh, <clears throat> Skip's a few old, years older than me. What, about 15, was, 30 years? He's, he's a bit like in his 60s now, right? Yeah, he's damn near on senior tour, so. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it would be uh, Skip. Probably, probably met oh seven or eight. I think I played Skip in either the two thousand seven or eight Missouri uh, Hieronymus Cup matches, which is kind of a East West thing, interstate battle. And I think I was one under after thirteen. And he closed me out, and I'm like, "Damn, he's pretty good. I got, I got to get better." <laughs> So you meet Skip and, you know, you have that first encounter. I think it's interesting when you get to that level, then you you, you still always have to try and improve. So, mm-hmm. like, you can't just, you know, whether you win the Missouri Amateur or your club championship or whatever you win, that's great. But then you have to keep con- improving because that's what everyone else is trying to do. So, um, you know, how did you continuously improve? And what are you trying to do still to continuously improve your game? Yeah, and Skip probably gets a little credit for me improving. And uh, I, like I was talking earlier, I hit a, I hit a, still hit a draw, but I used to hit a big old hook. Okay. And you know, Skip said, "You want to get better? We got to tone down the hook, make it a draw, not a hook." Right. So I really worked on trying to take a lot of the hook out of it, you know, and, and I think equipment in the ball really helps you take some of that out. And that's a discussion for another. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I think getting the hook out was uh, very, very helpful for me. And and be honest with you, I I really, really worked hard on my uh, game around the green to, uh, you know, sometimes I'm not having the best, I'm probably not the best ball striker in the world, but, I, uh, I can get up and down quite a few times. There you go. Nice. Well, you teamed up with Berkmeyer to play U.S. four-ball matches, and, um, you know, you played U.S. state team several times, so you've spent quite a bit of time with him. Um, uh, you know, I don't – I would never, never uh, try and, and assist you in, in maybe needling him or throwing him under the bus at all. Um, so I, I, I'm not going to – press you to do that but if you mm-hmm. but if you wanted to tell a good skip Berkmeyer story uh, i'm sure you had one that i would just graciously allow here on on this forum i mean i would do this oh yeah i mean i would do that for you brad yeah that'd be great i mean how many do you want i mean all, i all i of them or I, you just want one good one i mean i i have plenty of re- recording space on the hard drive just got a new one so we have at least nine or ten hours worth of space for you to just unload all that you want to but i'll let you i'll let you make that decision one of the 
best ones is he has got to be the worst rental car renter of all time. Oh, this is great. I love this. Yeah. <clears throat> we were in Birmingham oh, a few years back, gets a flat tire, <clears throat> and he looked at me. He goes, what do I do now? I'm like, Skip, what do you mean? What do I do? What do you do now? You got to change a flat tire. He goes, well, I don't know how to do that. Oh. I said, what do you mean you don't know how to change a flat tire? He goes, I don't know how to change a flat tire. I said, oh, boy. I said, Skip, when we get to Alan's house, we were going to Alan Koshas to have dinner. Uh-huh. And uh, I said, when we get there, I'll show you how to change a flat tire. He goes, no, can you just do it for me? I'm like, no, you need to learn. You're a 40-year-old man. You need to learn how to change a flat tire. This is a Midwest guy that doesn't know how to, I mean, I know how to change a flat tire and I'm a city boy. I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm a Floridian. I mean, that's bad enough, but I'm just saying. So, yeah. So we get there and, you know, Skip parks the car in the wrong spot to change the tire. So Skip, you got to turn around and do all this other stuff. And it just so happens that Alan Koshat's there and Patrick Kristovich is there. Oh gosh. Kristovich is there. Oh, Kristovich was there. I mean, he's got, pictures and uh, skip oh boy it's uh skip has still probably not heard the end of it for that one and um i think it was a, a year later we were headed over to koshat's house and he hit got in a wreck in the rental car and alan's neighbor had to come out and take the dent out of a bumper for skip because he didn't know what to do about that uh, Skip got in a wreck at L.A. with a rental car. Um, Skip was down in Florida last weekend, lost the keys to his rental car, and had to have it towed away and get a new one. So, yeah, he is definitely a black cat when it comes to uh, rental cars. <laughs> wow, I'm not traveling with this guy. Um, yeah, but you still keep him around. That's pretty. That's pretty decent of you. Yeah, he's uh he's been he's been pretty good to me, and I'm pretty grateful. Yeah. What about, uh, what about Holtgrieve? When's the first time you met Jamie Holtgrieve? Oh boy. He was probably very instrumental in helping me get into the crump cup. That's when I met him. I probably a year or two before I got, so probably 2012 or 13. And that was via skip as well. Uh, Mr. Holtgrieve is, boy, he is one of a kind. Yes, he is. He, uh, yeah. He's pretty intense, but you know, once you get to know him and he will, uh, he definitely will give you the needle if you deserve it. And he's not shy about it. <laughs> well, I, I don't, I mean, I've met him. He's been on the podcast. Great guy. Met him. I actually met him at Pine Valley and, uh, mm-hmm. and I'm just thinking of all the times that someone can give someone the needle. How about just some guy from St. Joe's playing at the Pine Valley for the first time with the Crump Cup? I mean, there had to have been some rookie hazing, or if there wasn't, at least you can share some story about stepping foot into that place for the first time, surrounded by just all these great mid-amateurs and it's your first time. I don't think I've actually asked someone about their first trip to Pine Valley to play in the Crump Cup, but I'm sure you can probably remember just about every hole. I don't think I've ever been that nervous stepping on the first tee. <laughs> you know, it's... You don't feel it in the practice round because you're just you're just playing golf in the practice round with your buddies and and the first hole is unbelievably hard at Pine Valley and yep I can't remember what I made probably bogey but <clears throat> it just so happened I got rid of the jitter somehow and 
was medalist my first year out there. So, you know, once you make the top 16 of the Crump Cup, everybody's really, really good. And I got waxed by Patrick Carter from uh, West Virginia. I ended up staying the whole time to get the full experience and playing in the, uh, well, they have a little alternate shot deal there the last day. And I think I played with Euronimo uh, Esteve. Yes from uh, Puerto Rico and that was fun. We had a good time and that's what that golf tournament's good for. You, you get to meet people and you get to see people that you don't normally get to see. The mid-am thing is uh it's a pretty tight knit group. And, you know, we have a, uh, we have a bunch of good guys out there. Well, it's funny, you know, you're bringing something up. I actually was going to ask you about, you know, you've, you know, it's one of those things that's so great about this game, especially the amateur side is, you know, the camaraderie, you know, you've won all these championships <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, gotten to play these great courses all around the country, whether it be, you know, down here at uh, Seminole for the Coleman or, or the Crown Cup of Pine Valley. But, you know, mm-hmm. I'm guessing the relationships that you're building is something that goes far beyond just any trophies or, or uh, you know, any sort of a souvenir you get from playing these courses. I know this is going to be a tough one, but if you got to go on a on a um, on a, on a golf trip, like a overseas golf trip to St. Andrews or something. And you got to you know, mm-hmm. put, put a foursome together. I mean, oh. barring any sort of, you know, you can't, you can't exclude skip because you're, you're, I'm going to get you guys a van. So that way you don't have to worry about anyone driving. <laughs> but so who do you take on that trip and where do you go? Are we counting skip or not counting skip? You can bring skip. It's fine. Oh, right. Well, definitely skip. Oh man, you're going to, this is going to be, Somebody's going to get mad at me. Um, that's the whole point of this question. Yeah, that's, I appreciate it. Um, I would say Skip, Alan Koshat, and, oh, boy, um, probably Todd Mitchell. There you go. So, yeah, that, you know, Todd's kind of – we're all kind of like Midwestern guys, and, um, you know, Todd's a, Todd's a great athlete, and, his his swing is just uh, good to watch period so um yeah i think we'd have a good time doing something like that and uh it would be fun to see skip try to drive over there <laughs> he's still because... the oh, wrong side of the road you guys are oh you guys, yeah you would, guys are coming back for a loop mm-hmm. you guys are coming back yeah, he would be bad for skip over there all right let me see if i can get you in a little bit more trouble uh the distance report just came out by the usga and i know that is a really hotly contested topic around i mean everyone has an opinion i think or a lot of people have opinions and i've spoken to people that are close to the pga tour or or close to players in the pga tour and they obviously don't want to see anything go away and i don't think the uh as far as distance goes and i don't think the the manufacturers of golf balls and golf equipment want to have any restrictions on what they're able to do um, is it something that really would have, is it something that really affects you? I mean, you're in your early forties and you're, you're, you know, you're, you're playing mid-am, uh, you know, for the most part, I'm assuming you're playing mid-am golf. I don't think you're mm-hmm. playing 74 and 7,500 yard golf courses. So is it something that is really, uh, something that you're, you're feel strongly about, or is it just whatever happens happens? You know, if they roll it back, roll the ball back, or they, take something away from the clubs. I, I, in my opinion, I just don't agree with it. I mean, nobody wants to go watch somebody putt. Everyone wants to go watch the big boys hit the driver. Yeah. They want to see it go a long ways. And my, I mean, who cares if they're making a bunch of birdies and hitting it out of the rough? I mean, if I, I think I seen Webb Simpson say something the other day about, you know, if you want to make it harder, 
don't make the fairway so wide and make a rough taller. I mean, yeah, that's, uh, you know, if you're 80 yards out and you got five or six inch rough, you're not gonna be able to stop the ball regardless of where you're at. So especially right. in a USGA event, I mean, USGA events like landing on the street. I mean, the greens are rock hard. Well, and, and actually I've, I've always kind of thought that like you look at some of these shorter courses, um, and, and, you know, there's if you put a wedge in anyone's hand, it doesn't matter what how far the ball goes. Uh, these guys right. are so good from 125 yards and in, and they put yeah. so good. And also the greens are so pure that mm-hmm. you know there's going to be low scores. So yeah, yeah, it's an interesting topic. Is it something that you found yourself talking to other midams about, or is it just is it still a little too new? I think it's probably a little too new for me yet. Um, you know, we're kind of isolated up here in St. Joe and the snow, but I'm, you know, I'm sure it'll be a hot topic when we go to champions club and we go down to the Coleman and I'll get to see everybody and we'll talk about it. And, uh, you know, kind of the ringleaders, uh, Mr. Harvey. So I'm sure he'll have a pretty good insight for us to, uh, talk about. I did not ask you about the 2014 U.S. Mid-Am and I really don't want to go down. I mean, obviously you and Scott Harvey were the co-medalists and then you meet in the final, but it, but you also run into him, I would imagine, every single year since playing in the crowd. Oh, yeah. So what is that dynamic like where, you know, it's one thing if you you, know, you see your, your local buddy that, that beat you out in the club championship or, uh, you know, something like that. But but he beat you out in the, in the tournament that took him to the Masters. So how do you manage that with keeping a relationship with the guy? And is it just something that just kind of – you know, evaporates over time or is that just always there? I've never had hard feelings about it. I yeah. mean, he, uh, he played better that day and he deserved a win. And, you know, and I actually, I, I think being in that match with him, it, it created another friendship to me and we've always talked and we've sat down a few times and talked about the match. And, you know, he, he's even said himself that, you know, he, he thinks he counted five or six putts that, flipped out on me that could have went in it didn't but you know and that's the way it goes and um and i was okay with it he was a he was a very gracious winner and uh you know it, to to this day we always talk and you know we'll send each other some notes back and forth on twitter or, or whatever the case may be and um it, it's just great to have another uh friend uh like that to uh discuss big time mid amateur stuff and uh Hopefully we'll get to discuss this uh, new East-West matches uh, he's coming out with. Yeah, that's going to be at Merido. That looks really interesting. I want to finish off on one thing is, you know, kind of tying it back to St. Joe. I think it's it really kind of exemplifies just, um, you know, your kind of entire journey in the game. And you mentioned learning the game at Fairview, which is a, you know, public course. It's a muni course. And I believe it probably tips out at what, like 6,300? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they might have put a couple par three tees in there that make it sixty four. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. so this is the place where you learn the game, and you, then you recently, just a couple of years ago, get inducted into their Hall of Fame. I think there's just probably a couple dozen that are in that Hall of Fame. I try to stay away from the question of like, you know, how did that feel? Normally, because it's me asking you that about like winning a tournament, and, and of course, you know, obviously winning a tournament that feels great, but. When you look back at where you started and then you're getting inducted into the Hall of Fame of the course where you learned the game on, I mean, that day had to have been pretty special. It was. I got, there was a lot of people there for the ceremony and I got a little choked up. My family, my in-laws, my mom and dad, and 
my kids were there and just to see your kids uh start to want to play golf and then you get to kind of throw back to where you all started and it was uh it was kind of a surreal moment really and we got to uh take pictures with some of the older guys that were there before me and I, I wanted pictures with all of them and I was slowing everything down because I wanted all the pictures <laughs> that's awesome yeah you know my teacher and coach was there so and he was he introduced me with the speech and everything so it was uh it was a really special evening and then, then they have a little nine hole shootout after that and I end up winning that too so it was kind of a capper for the sure kind of a capper for the night and you know I got a Somebody took an awesome picture of, I think it was, uh, my son would have been five then. Uh, he wanted to walk down the first fairway with me, and they got a picture of us holding hands walking down the fairway, so that I got that picture hanging in my basement here, and uh, that was uh, that was a pretty special deal. Well, uh, this has been this has been a lot of fun. I know you're prepping for uh, the four ball in in, uh, in Houston, and then I know that you are going to be down this uh, this neck of the woods playing in the Coleman in April, and then obviously uh, a, a great summer schedule that you're probably gearing up for. Best of luck to you throughout the summer, and uh, glad we're able to catch up, and thanks for coming by the uh, back of the range. No problem. I appreciate it. Uh, glad to be here. And there you have it. Special thanks to Brad Nursky for joining me this week here at the back of the range. Don't forget, lots of new episodes. We have the Road to Augusta series starting next week. We're going to have tons of other episodes. So make sure you're following along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Everything you need, every episode is available at thebackoftherange.com. We'll see you again next week for another episode here at the Back of the Range.